You know, we're in the holiday times, which often puts us proximate to our wider familial circles. And for some of us, that is delightful. For some of us, that is perhaps a mixed bag. And this last week, I saw a Twitter thread that I thought could give us all some much needed, biblically sound, familial navigating advice. This is from Kevin Young, who is a pastor, and he tweeted this. Quick tips from Jesus for dealing with your family. One, pretend you don't know them. Because in Mark 3, Jesus's mother and brothers came to see him, stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with him. And Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Tip two, hide and spend time with other people. Luke 2 reminds us, that when Jesus was 12 and they attended the festival, he stayed behind in the temple. And three days later, they discovered him there. Tip three, arrive late no matter the consequences. John 11, of course, is when two sisters sent message to Jesus, Lord, your very dear friend is sick. And so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Tip four, don't tell anyone where you are staying. In Mark 7, Jesus left Galilee, went north to the region of Tyre, didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in. Tip 5, when you need a break, say, I'm going to pray now. Luke 5 reminds us that the reports of Jesus' power spread, vast crowds came to hear him preach and be healed, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Tip 7, when all else fails, good meals heal. Amen, right? John 21, after Peter's denial... Jesus was on the shore of the beach, and the disciples did not realize it was him. But Peter said, it's the Lord. And there was a fire of burning coals and fish on it and some bread. We have lists like this, not just because family gatherings can be funky or stressful, but because we live in a culture where family is everything. In fact, that's part of why gatherings can be funky and stressful in the first place. There's a tension between our elevation of family and our real life experiences with them. Family is everything, so much so that we can build entire movie plots off someone breaking free from cartoons like Tangled, where Rapunzel is literally trapped in a tower and panics when she's free, but family's everything, so of course she lived without complaining in a tower for almost 18 full years first. Or comedies like Big Fat Greek Wedding, where you're literally trapped in a delightful group where you can't dare be a vegetarian, but family is everything, so of course they must approve of the non-Greek you love for life to be okay. Family's everything. Now, it's true that even when we have kind, warm, healthy families, then we get a sense that they're good, and since family's everything, they should fulfill us. When we don't have kind, warm, or healthy families, well... Then you're told you're missing out on the center of life. Family is everything. We may actually find that joyful and sustainable life following Jesus gets harder if family is everything. And I'd like for us to consider that together today. So here are Jesus' words on family from Matthew 12. Before we dive in, it's helpful to remember that now around Jesus are those who are deeply offended by him. He's been active enough that they are quite wary. He is subversive. He is dangerous. Some question his mental stability. It goes beyond mere disagreement with his message. And in Matthew 12, verses 46 to 50, and this is the NLT, we read this. 
As Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. The point of Jesus's words is far less a critique of his literal family, some of whom we know certainly are themselves disciples. Rather, Jesus uses someone saying, your family is here, to make a positive point about his followers. They're my family. We're family. They aren't offended by me, but interested. They don't see me as dangerous, but as one who offers life. As for subversive, well, yeah, Jesus is. But everything will be the better for it. And these are the folks who see that. Now, if we look just ahead in Matthew to chapter 19, verses 27 to 30, we hear that there is at least some awareness from the group that they've not only left behind possessions and relationships, but perhaps they can't go back. And if this continues on, everyone who's given up homes, family members, they don't quite know what's going to happen. And Jesus speaks to them saying, If you have given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake, you'll receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. In their own way for their culture, family was everything too. Both then and now, it may not be that our nuclear family gets in the way of following Jesus, but sometimes it did then and sometimes it does now. And in those cases, we actually have to choose. For some, that reality causes them to resent Jesus. How dare he not understand that family is everything? How dare Jesus say something like he does in Luke 14, 26? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Rude, Jesus. Now, first of all, Jesus knew how to exaggerate too. He's a very good communicator and he knows how to exaggerate for effect. He is not literally saying we need to hate our family. However, it is also true that we might find that joyfully, sustainably following Jesus gets harder when family is everything. And third, we might find that indeed there are times where we actually have to choose. Now, one thing I find fascinating are these passages later on in the New Testament called household codes. They show up in the letters. One example would be Ephesians 5. It starts in verse 21 when Paul talks about submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. These household codes talk about slaves and masters, wives and husbands, children and parents the main relationships of an ancient household. In these codes, Paul is opinionated and specific about how they're meant to relate to each other. Like how fathers, whose children are meant to be totally compliant at all times, fathers are told not to exasperate their children. The household codes are a contextual version of Paul saying, no, really, Everything about how you relate to each other flows from Christ, 
not the culture that puts the patriarch, the master, the father in charge, the end. And so we're invited to radically reimagine that although family is everything, family may not be who we thought and the way we relate may not be how we have in the past. We are also invited to take courage on the times we have to choose. It may not be that we have to choose whether or not to stay in that relationship, but perhaps it means we have to choose space. We have to choose the courage to set a boundary. We have to choose to renegotiate the terms of a relationship such that we can still joyfully, sustainably follow Jesus and then relate to our family from there. And so as we were together live, we went into a reflective practice that I'm going to also offer to you now. First, we listed the family relationships that each of us held. Who are you obligated to as a family member? And I mean obligated in the best sense. You might be obligated to a parent, grandparents, to a child, to a partner or spouse, to a sibling, to extended family members, to family who are not formed by blood, but by love, to whom are you obligated? Second, consider how that relationship intersects with your intention to be following Jesus into the world. And make a note next to each person. That relationship might be one where you would say, we follow together. It might be, I help them follow. This would be especially true if you are the parent of a child, for example. It might be, we each follow, but perhaps, you know, there's some space between us. We are perhaps doing it slightly differently, but we are each following. Perhaps the reality is you feel like I pull them or they push me. Perhaps they are someone that you feel like disrupts as opposed to following near. So give each relationship a brief descriptor. And then finally, consider this. With each relationship, which one might need a shift, a boundary, or space? Which ones need an expression of gratitude for their goodness in your life? Which ones might need a shift, a boundary, or space? Which ones might need an expression of gratitude? Family's important. Family's a joy. Family makes life richer. Family shapes us. But family isn't everything. And thinking it is will get in the way of joyfully and sustainably living the life God has for us. Because the kingdom is bigger than families. And the family of God is bigger than the nuclear families into which we were born. Family is important, but Jesus is everything. Family is a joy, but Jesus is everything. Family can make life richer, but Jesus is everything. Family shapes us, but Jesus is everything. And the more we practice trusting that, 
the more we will find that a joyful and sustainable life is available to us, even as we relate to whatever form of family we find ourselves in. And so may God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the Holy Spirit who knits us together to become siblings through Christ, be with us now as we move through our days. Amen.